This is an Area Code podcast. Hi, I'm Amy Simmons. And I'm Crispin Mayfield. And welcome to the Attached to the Invisible podcast. Um, yeah, we should do a little introduction. So I am Crispin Mayfield and I am a therapist. I do a lot of work with couples, which has a lot to do with attachment. Although I was interested in attachment and God, uh, long before I started working with couples, but I work, um, in something close to private practice. It's a clinic specific for ADHD. Um, yeah, so I am a social worker. I've worked in a variety of situations in the community. I've worked with mental health and drug and alcohol. And I got interested in attachment theory in my like psych 101 class. I was fascinated by it because it felt like it answered a bunch of questions for me. And one of the things that has like continued to be very interesting to me about it is the way that attachment plays all the way through these different human issues that we go through. So you see it all the time in drug and alcohol treatment. You see it all the time in severe and persistent mental health, right? If you wanted to make an argument that borderline personality disorder is an attachment Mm -hmm. issue, you certainly could do Mm -hmm. that. Um, Which I would. Yeah, Uh I would too. I mean, we have a a diagnosis for reactive attachment disorder, right? right? Like we very much see these as intertwined and yet it's not as big of a part of our conversation and that's always been really interesting to me but I think the first time I really thought about attachment and God was when Crispin and I talked about attachment and God for the Uh first time and I thought well that makes a whole lot of sense (laughs) right yeah I think that's we'll get in in, into it in a minute about what what is attachment if you're just if this is the first time you've heard this term but for me what's been so powerful about attachment is like it's really helped make sense of a lot of the emotions that I've had about God mm-hmm. um, in this way that like didn't necessarily fit with my theology, but it was what I was feeling inside. But yeah, let's start with like what is attachment? Yeah. So attachment is how we attach to people. Um, it's a really relational theory, right? I feel mm-hmm. like that's a fair way to describe it. Right, um, yeah. It's like the study of relationships, actually, mm-hmm. in a sense. Yeah, I think so. And so if you look at like basic attachment theory, right, they'll talk about attachment development usually around the first like year to 18 months of a person's life, which is one of the things that I think people often are impacted by about it is the idea of what was developing in us before we remember it developing. And so that answers a lot of questions. And so it gets broken down into, I like the language that you use specifically for the different categories, mm-hmm. but that you can have this very secure attachment, right? Mm-hmm. Um, attachment, maybe the way that it's meant to be, which mm-hmm. is probably true for very few of us. And then you can have insecure attachment, right? Actually, it's 50% of the population. Really? Yeah. I'm just not talking to that 50% of the population. <laughs> right. No, totally. <laughs> right. That's, I was talking with a therapist the other day and we were talking about like, Yeah, that's because, like, going back to what you said, a lot of times insecure attachment is underlying a lot of these psychological diagnoses, right? And so it makes Mm -hmm. sense that, like, the people that are coming into my office or that we're talking with or, like, in the the church programs Mm -hmm. we're in or whatever it is have an insecure attachment history. Yeah, that makes sense. Do you want to break down the 
subcategories of insecure yeah. attachment? Attachment is the emotional bond that we have with our caregiver. Mm-hmm. It's also at its core about how we deal with emotions. You know, when you're an infant, right, you get upset. Mm-hmm. Your diaper's wet, you're hungry, whatever it is. And your body is sending these signals to you that something is wrong, yes. right? And then the question is, is someone going to, to respond to your cry or not? Yes. And there's some really interesting uh, videos that, again, maybe you saw in your Psych 101 class, or if attachment theory is new to you or worth looking up on YouTube that show kids having this experience mm-hmm. um, and break down the, like, well, insecure attachment, right? I cry and somebody holds me, mm-hmm. right? In avoidant attachment, generally, right? In avoidant right. dismissive, I-, I cry and I cry and I cry right. and nobody ever shows up, mm-hmm. right? And right. then there's the more inconsistent... Like ambivalent, right? Ambivalent, yeah. mm-hmm. and which... Ambivalence is a push and a pull, right? right. So it's some, uh-huh. sometimes you're here, sometimes you're not. Right, yeah. That can be true of a lot of, I think, ambivalent attachment shows up in a lot of people who have um, parents who struggle with addiction or mm-hmm. parents who struggle with mental health, right? Uh-huh. Because right. sometimes they're in a healthy place and so they are responsive, right? Mm-hmm. They're loving parents when they're healthy and maybe they're absent when they're not. Yeah, and I think it's just so good to remember, like, There are so many different things that can cause insecure attachment. Sometimes kids have certain like sensory things Mm -hmm. or that sort of stuff that the parent just doesn't know how to care for them in the way that they need. It's interesting. So Dr. Karen Purvis um, uh, has done a lot of attachment work with the term she uses is kids from hard places, but mostly kids in foster care. When she looks at attachment trauma, um, and what causes trauma in our nervous systems to feel unsafe in the world. Stressful pregnancy, stressful birth, early hospitalization, um, and then abuse and neglect, and then specific traumatic events. Three out of the five of those are things that psychologically healthy parents, like it Absolutely, happens to yeah. them. I'm speaking of myself even because our daughter was in the NICU for two weeks right after she was born. She was born seven weeks early and no one ever told us, like, hey, like she might have anxiety when she grows up because those first two weeks of life, she didn't get the chance to be held consistently in the way that kids need. Yeah. We held her as much as we were uh, able to medically. Yeah. And I think that brings up a really interesting point in the way that we approach attachment theory is it's easy to use attachment theory as another excuse to be mad at your parents. Mm -hmm. Um, And sometimes that totally, if the shoe fits. But in other ways, it brings up this issue of human communication, right? Mm -hmm. You're talking about sensory issues. And if a kid has sensory issues, what is a six-week-old's ability to articulate their sensory issues? Mm -hmm. And so attachment theory is also something that can be used as a tool for us to go out and do better to the small humans in our lives. Mm -hmm. Uh, I don't personally have any kids, but absolutely does attachment theory come up in the way I interact with the kids that I do, right? Mm Because we're thinking about how are my actions impacting them. And so if you do find attachment theory to be something that makes you mad at your parents, how can you spin that right Right. into being Uh like well how do we do better how do Mm -hmm. we do something different and stronger and healthier for our small ones Mm -hmm. and you can take attachment theory as a guide for that as well and as much as you can yeah right and one of the things to do that actually is to do our own work yes right so as we heal there's this earned secure attachment right maybe you didn't grow up with secure attachment but as you heal 
then you're more able to respond to your kids in the way that they need. Absolutely. Going back to this idea that attachment is about emotions and managing emotions. So if I'm secure, if I have a need, then I know I can go to my parent and that's going to be okay. And so securely attached people generally are, are okay with depending on other people. They can be vulnerable. They can also rely on themselves because their parents were there and taught them that they were there to help them deal with their emotions. Mm -hmm. Those emotions didn't feel so overwhelming. So then they grow into adults that are like, oh, I can handle my own emotions because my parents showed me how. Yeah, there's a higher distress tolerance that comes with secure attachment because big emotions don't result in the fear of, well, maybe they're never coming back because that's not an an experience your brain can bounce back to because it's not an experience you've had. Mm yeah, that's really right. that's yeah. a really good point. There's this piece about secure attachment where because my needs were met, that communicates to me on this body level. Yes. Like before I can even speak, I get this sense about myself that I'm worth being taken care of, that I'm lovable. Yeah. Right. Or cognitively process it, which right. I think is one of the most in- for me is one of the really interesting things that happens as our attachments kind of get set and then we grow out of grow with them being set in that way because for a lot of people our attachments get set in that first one or two years of our life and then Mm -hmm. if we never know to do anything about it we never do anything to change it or alter it or heal it right we can't change something that we don't know is there Mm -hmm. or can't name right Right. yeah yeah Um, definitely i lost where i was going with that it's still true though (laughs) right yeah (laughs) And then you have, if we look at dismissive attachment, right, then there's basically there it's like dismissive, um, dismissive avoidant attachment, right, is when I, my parents weren't there for me. Yeah. They consistently showed or whoever it is. I consistently learned that like if I need help or I'm overwhelmed with emotion, I'm on my own. So at that point, I have to figure out ways to to deal with emotions on my own. Yeah. And then in the same idea that we then kind of cement those or cement is too extreme because we don't believe that they're stuck forever. Mm-hmm. Right. right. But for yeah. some people, it feels cemented. Yeah. Um, then we take those coping skills that we learned when we were really small mm-hmm. into the rest of our lives, right. right? And people talk about this all the time of um, feeling like a little kid mm-hmm. when like big relational problems come right. up, right? Yeah. Or big emotional problems. Oh, I feel like I'm four years old again. Mm-hmm. And there's a really good explanation for that, right? right? You learned how to deal with big emotions when you weren't mm-hmm. so big because you had to. I love that point that that's, that's exactly why you feel that way because it's, it's, like, it's true. Hey, this feels familiar. Yeah. It right. does feel familiar. That's yeah. valid. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And for dismissive people, it's like, I, it's like, I'm on my own. I have a couple of strategies. One is push those feelings down. Yep. Shut them up. Or a way of pushing things down is like, I'm just going to focus on doing something. Yeah. Like even mm-hmm. like in the, in the way that these categories were created when they were doing, I want to say experiments on children. It wasn't, <laughs> it was experiments was kind on children. kind of experiments right, on yeah. children. It was over the course of 20 minutes, putting some children in some stressful situations. That, gentle, gentle experimentation. Yes, that we put our kids in all the time. Basically, these kids were uh, introduced to a stranger um, 
acquainted with the stranger and then mom leaves and then the scientists watch like how do these kids respond and yeah. how how do they respond when mom comes back yes right so basically like typical like you know daycare drop off routine yeah. but looking at like you know, how do these infants respond? Mm -hmm. And even the one-year-olds that were dismissive at that point would just go and like play the xylophone. I'm just going to find something to do because I can't cry. If I cry, nobody's coming anyway. So what's the point? Yeah. Or when I cry, I get punished for crying. And so these are people that grow up that are like, I, I have a lot of men in my office like this, where their wife's like, I just want to know what you're feeling. This isn't always gendered, but it, you know, especially because we of follow some of the, patterns. <laughs> right. Yeah. Because of society. Yeah. Right. And the things that we learn and the things. So they're like, I want to know what you're feeling. And they're like, I, but I don't feel anything. And that's true in the sense that they, the way that they know how to deal with their emotions is by disconnecting from yes, them. Disassociating from them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And that's such an interesting thing in the way that we respond to. Right, you say that you experience a lot of um, men in your office who are ha who have this attachment style. Right. Well, logically, right, it's not that parents of boys are more likely to behave in these certain ways, but it might be true that parents of boys are more likely to treat their boys in a certain way. Mm -hmm. That sort of demands that self sufficiency because right. of cultural expectations right. we have. Totally, yeah. That then get reinforced over a lifetime. Uh huh. It's also really interesting when you look at how attachment gets pass from one generation to the other with dismissive attachment. If I then grow up and I'm trying to suppress all of my uh, like sad or scared emotions, and then I see my kid expressing that it's going to bring up that in me. And I'm going to be like, what are you doing? I'm like, we're trying to like keep these emotions away. <laughs> like you're like ruining my whole strategy here. Well, and then you can get into like Bowen and family systems theory and the idea of, Bowen talks about unmetabolized anxiety uh -huh. that we pass down from generation mm. to generation and that the way we deal with that is by avoidance, right? Mm -hmm. Is how he winds up talking about is triangulating things. The more mm. things we have between me having to sit across from you and us to deal with the emotional tension there, mm -hmm. the better. And then if that's the way you're relating to your spouse, then that's the way your kids are witnessing right. how relationship happens. And so they take that into their relationships but it, it's always going to fail, right? Avoidance mm -hmm. is always going to fail. Emotions are still going to show up. And that's right. how people wind up in your office, right? right? Yeah. Uh -huh. It's because it doesn't exactly. work. <laughs> right, yeah. Which then, so yeah, the the dismissive people who actually are um, more, they're, they're generally less successful in, in like a lot of realms of life um, than secure people. But they actually can be successful in some ways, yeah. right? So they actually tend to be really good at like, doing their careers because like if I do this then I don't have to feel this yeah right depending um, on the career I think if I didn't feel anything my social work life would be over but that's it, true. but it is interesting the way we've um there are attachment styles that we re reward as a culture right yeah, right totally, yeah um and, and avoiding dismissive is absolutely like it an acceptable attachment style mm -hmm. for again, particularly an adult man to have, but also for kind of adults to have in general, right. if they're going to be career focused. So uh -huh. that makes sense that they'd be successful in that right, area. Yeah. And just in general, like my, my friend KJ Ramsey, who I'm going to interview later, cool. um, <laughs> talks about like this American idea of like independence, like emotional, like, yeah. you know, I have to just handle it on my own. Mm -hmm. Right. And really what, what is healthy and actually fits with scripture is interdependent.
which there's a lot about interdependence and attachment, obviously. But <laughs> we want to look at then this third category. So first category is secure attachment. Yeah. Uh, which is I know my parents are there when I need them. So I can actually get out and explore the world, right? And know that they're there for me. And yeah. emotions don't have to overwhelm me. Um, so I can I can cope with a lot of stress in life. Then you have dismissive attachment, which is like my parents aren't there for me in the way that I need for whatever reason. Um, so I'm on my own. So I have to come up with strategies to deal. Yeah. And my main strategy is to just shove it down and keep going. Yep. Which is, yeah, a very, like, American, like, pull yourself up by the bootstraps. Yep. You're going to be just fine. Dust it off. Right, yeah. yeah. And then there's this third category, which is ambivalent yeah. or preoccupied, yeah. which happens when our parents are there some of the time, mm -hmm. but they're not consistent enough. Yeah. Um, and really, for those worried parents out there, um, <laughs> the... the so two things here. One is uh, I think that that level is like 70%. You don't have to be there all the time. You just got to get it right like 70% of the time. The C, C average. Right, yeah, exactly, uh, for security. And the other thing is it's not about getting it right all the time. Yes. It's about rupture and repair. So what happens is like we miss it with our kids or with our partners or whoever, and then we see that they're upset. And then we go and we're like, hey, what happened? And then we, like, bring them back into relationship or, you know, into, like, comfort or safety. Mm -hmm. um, so really it's about, like, if you're a parent, a lot of it is about paying attention, like, when your kid's upset or, like, you know, when you've messed up. Which is a great key. I think I think of the word responsiveness when we talk about ambivalence or preoccupied, mm. right? There's a, lack of, there's a lack of responsiveness. It's not even necessarily a lack of presence. And that's right. true with avoidant dismissive, too. Uh -huh. You have parents who are, like, totally checked out even though they're physically present. Right. Um, but that what kids develop healthy and secure attachment through is your ability to respond to them, mm -hmm. right? Which, again, Crispin highlighted, doesn't mean you have to be on 100% of the time, right? but that you're responding and paying attention to what's happening, right? Mm -hmm. When you go, when you see your kids upset and you go follow back up with them, you're responding to a new need that's been presented, right? right? Maybe their need was to be hungry earlier right. and you snapped at them because you were frustrated, but if you go back and they're upset, being seen when we're upset or having big emotions is another need we have that needs responding to. Right, exactly. So. Yeah, I mean, we, we I've been thinking about, like, what shame, what role shame has. Yeah. And, like, um, there there is this thought that, like, shame has a role. Like, if we do something that is, like, uh, unsafe or, you know, against, like, antisocial, whatever yeah. it is, like... It's appropriate for parents to be like, that's not okay. And then the kid like shows in their body, in their body language that they feel shame, right? Yeah. They cry or they, and then the parent hugs them and that communicates like, hey, this is about your behavior. This isn't about you. Yeah. Yeah. Right. The sense of worthiness and acceptableness. Right. Is yeah. still there. I just don't want you to touch the stove. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. So, um, so, Really, like, just want to reiterate with parents, like, yeah, it's really, it's not about being perfect. Yes. It's about being good enough parents. Yeah. Yeah. But then when we look at ambivalent and preoccupied attachment, which is two terms for the same thing, yeah. um, these are kids that grew up where it's like, I, 
my parent can be there for me sometimes, but not all the time. Yeah. And so I have to figure this out. I have to figure out, like, how do I get my parent to pay attention to me? Yeah. There's a really high level of relational anxiety mm-hmm. that comes with an ambivalent attachment style, right? Because with uh, secure or even with avoidant dismissive, right, you know what you're getting. Right. One of them's better than the other, but at least you know what you're getting. Whereas mm-hmm. with an ambivalent attachment experience, even if, and this is one of the things that gets really hard, I think, for folks who are stuck in an ambivalent attachment cycle is even if you are consistently getting the same thing, it's so hard to believe that that's what's happening when you've had that experience of the mm-hmm. world for so long. I think the example I always think of is um, like being an adult dating and it being like the const- constantly needing to know where your partner's at, mm-hmm. right? Because there's just not trust there, right? Right? You mm-hmm. just it's really difficult to trust that no matter how consistent a person is, right. that they're doing what they're saying they're going to do because what you learned to do when you were really young was to be constantly assessing. Mm -hmm. Is this a moment I can get my needs met? Can I get my needs met this way? Will this work? Will that work? Because kids draw really um, simple conclusions, right? Mm -hmm. I always think of my little roommate got in trouble because he had like a a phone he was using and (laughs) he had... um, just nobody had noticed he had been taking it to bed with him, mm-hmm. which no one had ever intended for him to do, but no one had noticed. And then I was babysitting him one night and I was like, you can't have this in here. I was like, no, my mom lets me have this in here. Uh-huh. Cause that's really what he believed. He wasn't trying to be dishonest right. because he drew this really clear line from like, well, this is what's happening. So this is what's okay. Right. Yeah. And if you can't draw those <clears throat> lines as a little kid, you're drawing up a whole web of connections between ideas that really builds like brain circuitry for mm-hmm. relational anxiety. Right, totally. Well, and then what happens is, so we learn early on, if I want mom's attention when I need it, I need to sit right next to her. Yes. Right? All the time. Like, I I need to make this happen. Mm-hmm. I can't trust that if I'm across the room and I'm crying, she's going to come for me. But I know that if I'm crying right next to her, then she'll, she'll be climb there. Climb onto her if I, right. yeah. Exactly. And so then we take the strategy into our relationships where it's like, here are the things that I do in order to keep you close. Yes. You know, maybe I'm I'm married and I just keep the house clean all the time because I'm afraid that if I like am a burden on you, then you're going to leave me. And because I'm always keeping the house clean and my wife is like, oh, it's really nice that he keeps the house clean because I never don't keep the house clean. <laughs> Then I'm like, oh, the only reason that she's staying with me is because I'm keeping the house clean. Never had the chance to test the theory. Right, exactly. And another, and correct me if I'm wrong here, but another way that um, ambivalent attachment can show up too is in like the push-pull. So we made reference earlier to talking about something like borderline personality disorder Mm -hmm. as you know, uh, a heightened version of an ambivalent attachment style, right? Because one of the things, if anybody knows anything about borderline personality disorder, one of the big markers is that it's like idealizing people and demonizing them. There's a a constant push-pull that Mm -hmm. happens for people. So for some people, it is like this constant pulling in anxiety. And for Mm -hmm. some people, it's the jumping back and forth between, okay, I'm going to hold you close. Okay, that didn't work. Then get away from me. Wait, no, I want you. Uh Which it can be very difficult um, to maintain healthy relationship in that scenario. And And I think shows up 
as an issue a lot faster than avoidant dismissive does, mm-hmm. right? That's something that right. 10 years into a marriage, right. sometimes people realize You're where right. it's with avoidant attachment, it's like, okay, it's, it's quite visible, right. I guess. Yeah, definitely. And what's so interesting about those infants that w- had that ambivalent attachment is they got really upset when mom left, but when mom came back into the room, they couldn't calm down. Yeah. And there's a lot of reasons behind yeah. that. Um, but what they would do actually is they would like kick or push against mom. Yeah. And right. And like they're one year old, they're like too young to be passive aggressive, <laughs> but it's, it's not sort a of, cognitive behavior. Right, yeah. But it's sort of like this sense of like punishing mom for being so unreliable. Yeah. It's like, I really need you. And I'm so pissed that I need you that I'm yeah. going to like push you away. Yeah. <laughs> right. Which then, like, if you bring that into relationships, right? Like, I'm so pissed that I need you, so I'm going to show you anger. Then it yeah. actually drives people away. And then it's like, look, I can't rely on you. Yes, right? And that's I think that that hits so well on the way that our attachment styles perpetuate themselves. Right. Yeah, right? Totally. Our, our behaviors, we wind up developing this sense or perspective on the way the world works. Mm-hmm. And then our behavior in relationships continues our belief that that's the way relationships are. Right. Because mm-hmm. because we, we drive them in certain ways. And right. obviously people continue to have either abusive or traumatic experiences, or you have someone who comes into your life and is like, wonderful. I think Mm -hmm. about a lot of the attachment healing I've experienced is through some really like wonderful and present friendships and community Mm -hmm. that I've experienced and how beautiful and wonderful that is. And also like it would not have changed or healed any of my attachment stuff if I hadn't risked to tap into it right they could have all shown up and been awesome and wonderful right and nobody's going to be my superhero right at uh-huh. some point we have to change our behaviors right. to change our attachments yeah right well yeah you have to take a risk at some yeah. point for sure yeah and a lot of times i think it's like we're able to take that risk once we can acknowledge how difficult it is to take that risk yes right so i think a lot of times it's like well just just, just do it just do it right <laughs> yeah. and it's like no like this has been something that has not gone well in the past over and over, so much so that my nervous system mm-hmm. is like tied into this. Yeah. My nervous system is saying, like, don't risk, mm-hmm. don't, don't reach, right? Just stay to yourself. It's yeah. safer to not be in relationship than to be in relationship. Yeah. And the older we are, the bigger bank of evidence we have. Right. Right? Because totally. it's not inaccurate. Mm-hmm. That that's how our relationships have been going. They right. have been going that way a lot of the time. Right. Totally. Sometimes it's our perception, right? But attachment theory is a lot less perception and a lot more how we're really relationally and emotionally experiencing mm-hmm. things. But right. can we stop the cycle of insecure attachment or at least right. slow it down enough mm-hmm. to maybe get it going in a different direction? Everyone listening is thinking about like their dating lives yes. or relationships Always. or friendships. <laughs> and let's just pivot and start talking about God. <laughs> talk, let's talk about your relationship with the Lord. Right. But it's really interesting to th- like take this framework. Yes. And then look at we're part of this Christian tradition that puts so much emphasis on personal relationship personal with relationship. Jesus. Yep. And then, yeah, you're like, okay, so I have this relational framework. Um, and then how does that play out with God? 
Yeah, and I think, yeah, it's so interesting because you're so right. It's so quick and easy to think about our attachment styles and how it plays out with people. And what's interesting to me is that um, sometimes I think our attachment style with our parents and our attachment style with God can be different. Whereas, Mm -hmm. like, my attachment style with, like, dudes I date and my attachment style to my parents is pretty, like on the same base, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. um, but with God, God is this, per- in, a, in a Christian tradition, right? He's right. a parental figure uh-huh. that we were given, if you were raised in the church, very young, right? Mm-hmm. And had a sense of expectation that you were taught, right? Because mm-hmm. we're, we're taught how we're supposed to relate to God. Right, yeah. Because um, he's not this physical, tangible person, right? Mm-hmm. So we're interpreting we're interpreting everybody's actions. Right, yeah. That's a whole thing we could get into. But we're really interpreting God's right. actions or behavior, I'm air quoting as mm-hmm. I say those, because of what do, you, what do you really call right. the movements of the uh-huh. divine. Um, but we're interpreting those things through the lens that we were given. So if we're right. given a lens of God as an angry God, we're going to develop uh, don't go to him with things that will upset him, mm-hmm. which is a time that we need attachment and connection the most is when we've done something that makes us feel insecure in ourselves. Mm-hmm. But don't go to God with that because he's going to be mad at you. Right. We're going to develop this avoidant relationship with God, even if that's maybe that's not your relationship with your earthly parent. I think a lot of times they line up because mm-hmm. a lot of times people choose theologies that line up with the way they function in the world. Right. Yeah. So if you were raised in the church, you probably have parents mm-hmm. who taught you to relate to God in the same way that they relate to you. Right. There actually is research that shows a correlation culturally between like the God image in the culture and Mm -hmm. like what that attachment looks like. And then, uh, discipline styles, which is not surprising. Yeah. I mean, I always think about the bleak example of, Oh, is, is the book called spare the rod? Um, no, to, to, to raise a, child to is it like a dobson book yeah it wasn't dobson though but it was about like quite literally like like stern really authoritative and like physically abusive like Mm. preaching physically abusive Uh discipline to like fundamental christian parents and like Uh some kids passed away it was awful um and so it's like there's just this very clear link between like this is what god wants Uh god is stern with us and will punish us in god's wrath Mm -hmm. and you shouldn't it would be inappropriate for you to not be heavily disciplining your children, right? right. And that pressure yeah. that parents are given, mm-hmm. which is a whole other form of responsiveness, I suppose. But Yeah, definitely. Um, my friend Mako uh, talks about uh, if we have, like we, Protestantism has this punishing view of God. So it doesn't, or it make, it's not surprising that in the U.S. then we have like a lot of punishment, right? We have more uh, incarceration than like yep. the rest of the world, et cetera. But yeah, that plays out with, with attachment and parents. And, um, I, when I was 14, um, I was really into Philip Yancey. Oh, <laughs> right, okay. Yeah. Which he holds up. So that's good. <laughs> 
I was like, there are lots of things that I really holds up. Yeah, there, there are a lot. Great. Like for example, Frank Peretti does not hold up. Oh yeah, probably not. No, my I'll- parents. Fun, fun, quick fact about uh, my Christian childhood is that uh-huh. my parents uh, were like New York City punk rockers before they got saved, oh. and they maintained some of that attitude into their mm. Christianity. So we didn't do any Christian culture stuff. Oh wow, like. At all. Huh. We watched Veggie Tales. It was like okay. the most Christian culture stuff we did because my dad was like, this is bad is the mm. thing. Like Christian huh. music is bad, so you can't listen to it uh-huh. was how rules were made in our homes. Oh, so yeah. <laughs> it's like a whole other. Sounds good. So I'll yeah, nod yeah. along as you talk about okay. it. <laughs> right, yeah. But yeah, this, uh, but Philip Yancey uh, in his book, Reaching for the Invisible God, talks about like how hard it is to relate to God because he's invisible, right? Yeah. And one thing about attachment is that it's so much based on uh, all the nonverbals. Yes. And it's not really based at all on like what's said. Yeah. Which means that like our attachment system, which does come online with God, yeah. right? It actually like operates in the right hemisphere of our mm-hmm. brain mm-hmm. in a, in the same way that our other relationships do. Yeah. Um, but we're left to infer what he's like. We don't get to see him smiling at us yeah. and making eye contact or like softly, like rubbing our back yeah, in or way giving that, a hug or yeah. Right. Yeah. yeah. It's just like, okay, I know that you're this really important figure in my life that the whole world revolves around, but also like, I'm trying to figure out who you are and I'm, mm-hmm. you know, even if we yeah. look at like, and then here are all these stories, like lots and lots and lots of stories that are supposed to tell what you're like. Lots of stories of other people relating to you, right. which is an interesting way to learn about someone, right? Right. Yeah, exactly. Here's everything I've heard about how you treat other people. Right. Right? Because that's ultimately what the Bible <laughs> is. Right. Yeah. Which is the way I've never thought about it before. But when you get down to this, it's like, it's like being told that somebody's great and you're going like, I don't. Right. And then you, I was just thinking about. Maybe this is a weird transition, but we talked a little bit about how someone might develop like an avoidant dismissive relationship with God. Mm-hmm. An ambivalent relationship with God, I think about um, – I wasn't raised super fundamentalist, but I was raised pretty charismatic um, and mm-hmm. had more charismatic Pentecostal experiences later. And there's uh-huh. a real like – people talk about the camp high. Uh-huh. But right, Having right. these really impactful moments yeah. and then going into a different space and having no idea how to connect right. – Mm-hmm. And so you you wind up developing this like, right. when are you gonna be here? Are you here? And I found mm-hmm. that for myself as a as an adult with my own attachments to God of kind of having this questioning of mm-hmm. sometimes this feels so real and sometimes I feel like what am I even mm-hmm. doing right? Which is right. so much of this like rings true for a lot of people, mm-hmm. right? Right. That's one of the biggest questions I have. Uh, there's actually research that shows people that relate to God in that way with that clingy, like, I desperately need you, like, I'm going to go to this emotional worship service. They actually don't develop secure attachment with God, which is, I can't figure it out because it seems like... That <laughs> That's sh- what we're taught to do. Right. And it's, <laughs> and like, just logically, I'm like, it, it makes sense that like, that would be a thing that would resolve your attachment wounds. Yeah, that's super interesting because it is so specifically, we're taught with people, right? With mm-hmm. human people, we are taught, if we're going to talk about secure attachment, a secure attachment does not look like me knocking on your door every single day and like pounding until you answer, 
right? right. That's not mm-hmm. that's not right. Right. But with God, that's like explicitly the messaging we're given about how to relate to him. And I do wonder, um, almost bouncing back to the shame aspect, uh-huh. if our relationship with God is more um genuine and therefore secure when we have some level of acceptance of God's acceptance of us mm-hmm. um, versus desperation for God's acceptance and acknowledgement of us. Right. Yeah. I mean, I'll just be really transparent yeah. and say like when I'm in, in, in just the average evangelical worship service, it feels like this striving to get close to yes. God. Yeah. As though he's not like just there, like waiting to embrace yes. you. It's yeah. like, I ne- like the pastor's got to invite him to come. Mm-hmm. And then we're going to sing all these songs about like how we need you and we want you to come. Yeah. Right. And it doesn't. And so it makes sense that that kind of carries with us. Like if we're not doing that thing, we're not like grasping mm-hmm. at him that he's not there. Just in the same way yeah, with that like, infant is like. If I'm not clinging on to mom's skirt right now and making sure she doesn't go anywhere, like, I don't know if she's... How do I know? Right. She might just abandon me. Yeah. She might not be there. Versus there is some faith element to being like, God's here, right? He's here now in our podcast, right? Right. Like, he's here, and I can breathe in that space. Mm -hmm. But it is interesting to think about God and attachment because... All, all of the things we've already said. And also, mm-hmm. when we talk about attachment at its like baseline theory with humans, mm-hmm. the weight of attachment is on parents to establish, mm-hmm. right? When we talk about attachment with God, the only theology we've been – like I keep jumping to it in my head and then getting confused because the mm-hmm. only theology we've been given puts the weight of attachment on us who are still the child figures in this. Mm-hmm. And what does that look like, mm-hmm. right? Because ultimately, like, God is a present and responsive parent. Right. Right? He is. Uh-huh. So what do we do to develop a secure attachment when he's doing all the things that mm-hmm. need to be done? And we – but then putting that weight on us just just develops, like, anxious attachments. So what are we – Right, yeah. Well, I think a lot of it is that we've um, we've combined – being close with God with discipleship. There is this part in the church to urge people to grow, um, to become more sanctified, more holy. Like, And that mm-hmm. is a part, there is this part of it that, that does depend on you. But we say it in ways like, oh, you need to make sure to walk with God or you need yeah. to like try to grow closer to God this week. Yeah. But really, like when I look at scripture, right, like what happens? Adam and Eve sin and then God shows up and is like, hey, what are you guys doing? <laughs> What's like, up? Cain kills Abel <laughs> and then God goes to him and then Moses kills someone in the desert and then like God shows up. But we're told the opposite. Like you actually have to like not sin in order to get close to God. Mm-hmm. If I looked at the Bible, I'd be like, well, if I wanted God to show up, then I would just sin. Please don't do a murder. Right, yeah. I don't. I'm begging you. Right, yeah. Um, but right, and I think that's so interesting, and I wonder how much, well, it almost seems, 
clear, if not easy, to think that it's it's that shifting of our theology mm-hmm. to align more with scripture, unsurprisingly, right. that actually creates and or, and or heals that a- attachment, mm-hmm. right? Because if you're not a baby listening to this podcast, right, right it's it's healing attachments that we're talking about, mm-hmm. right? right. Um, or what attachment you're going to pass down to your little ones, right? right. And so, what yeah. are you? What are we telling? kids about God? What mm-hmm. are we telling them? What's in our language? And there's so much of that Christianese right. that's like your your walk with God is mm-hmm. so interesting right. because the, yeah, you need, you need to get closer. You need to spend time. Like what, what happens is a, is a, you need to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and we're so afraid. <laughs> right. Uh-huh. Right. What I think about is like, oh man, well, if I just tell God, tell kids that like God is present and he's present with them when they're sinning and like don't put any, they won't do anything if we don't, right. which is not how he, how humans relate to people, right? Mm-hmm. If we like people and we feel safe with them, we generally enjoy being with them. Right. We don't need to be convinced to do things for them. There's learning that happens in how we care right. for a person, but. Yeah. It's really interesting. Right. It's it's interesting. So uh there's been some newer scholarship about what it how the Israelites themselves viewed the law. Okay. Right. So like N T right would be in this camp. Um and and Luther had this idea of like you had to like follow the law to the T yes. right in order to be part of the people of God. Yeah. Um, but really like what we understand is that the Israelites generally understood themselves as like we're the people of God. Nothing changes that. And here's this law that yeah. he's given us so that we can we can live together. So yeah. Dan Siegel, who talks a lot about attachment, he's an interpersonal neurobiologist, yep. Yep, yep, yep. Uh, talks about connect, then redirect. And that's like basically like what God was doing with Torah. It's like, <laughs> yeah. like you're my people. Yeah. And also like I'm not going to like let you like ruin each other's lives yes. and oppress the poor and like all these things that are going to have a harmful effect on you. Yeah. But the that idea of like whether or not they followed the law didn't didn't impact their their standing. And actually like if we went really nerdy that's, <laughs> that's the tension that like the the two narratives that we see through script through the Old Testament so even like um, parts where they tell the same story in different ways. Yeah. And one perspective is like, we're God's people. And unfortunately where they go with that is like, so we can do no wrong. Yes. And then like, there's this other stream that's like the more prophetic, like critical, like, no, yeah. like we're God, but it's like, you're God's people. Why are you acting this way? Yeah. Um, and then Paul, he doesn't say like, Hey, do this thing so that you can remain children of God. Yeah. He's like, Hey, you're children of God. Why are you acting this way? Yeah. Right? Like, it's always affirming the relationship first. Yeah. Just like you do with kids, right? It's not like... uh, Secure attachment doesn't mean just letting our kids do whatever they want. That actually would be abusive. It'd be really problematic. Right. But it's like, yeah, like, our relationship doesn't change based on your behavior. But also, like, there's going to be some consequences. Or, and I think thinking about consequences or law or rules as guidance, right? Mm -hmm. There's an acknowledgement there. And I think attachment speaks really intriguingly to sort of our our human need for boundaries, Mm -hmm. right? Because when, if you have a a parent who's not directing their kid, that's a kid who's going to 
develop an avoidant attachment style, mm-hmm. right? Because what they're learning is that that need that they have to be guided is not what they're not going to mm-hmm. get input. Right. It's impactful to me to think about um, developing a secure attachment with God of being like, yeah, right. You are a child of God and here's what you're going to do to do that. Because mm-hmm. in terms of me to God, uh, development-wise, I'm still a baby, right? Mm-hmm. And and that's always going to be my relationship. There's a permanency to that relationship right. with God that there isn't with parents, mm-hmm. right? Really, I, I think some people have that experience of their parents sort of permanently. But a lot mm-hmm. of people get to a point of being on a more like peer relationship with their parents at some right. point. Right. Yeah. Especially when they have their own kids, but then sometimes there's guidance mm-hmm. in that. Right. But right. The, the gap closes more right. yeah. with our earthly parents. Uh-huh. Whereas with God, it's, it's forever this, like mm-hmm. where I get my guidance from is. And, right. and I think that that's an, I would, I would be so curious about the worship service thing to think mm-hmm. what impacts the way we're worshiping mm-hmm. has. Right. Mm-hmm. Cause if, cause if it's in that desperation, like, Maranatha, like you need to come down. I need you. I need you here right now. Uh-huh. Way or if it's, hey, here we are. I love you. You love me. I'm trying to figure out what I'm supposed to do. Uh-huh. Right, because that very much speaks to what, right, what a secure attachment with communication looks like. Right. Yeah. Definitely. And the Bible Project recently did a whole series on Torah. Yeah. And basically, they were like, Torah is is not what we think it is. Yes. Uh, and it's actually wisdom literature. Yeah. Right. And I love that. Like, this is like God giving a gift to his people. Yes. Right. It's not at all about like, hey, like, if you follow these things, then I will mm-hmm. like you. Yeah. Which is like, I think that's like, I think a, so much of the insecure attachment with God, what I've heard over and over from people is like, I don't know if God actually likes me. Yeah. And it's like, and I can't like do all the things that he wants me to do in yeah. order to get his acceptance and yeah. approval. Yeah. I mean, I mean that, and that relates so much to talking about how parents relate to kids. Right. Mm-hmm. And that's like for, for any, for any parents out there listening, that's a, such a good question to ask yourself when you're trying to figure out like, Oh no, what am I doing is, well, mm-hmm. am I doing this? out of love and guidance or am I doing it because I'm, because I'm pissed off or annoyed. Mm-hmm. Right. Right. Cause yeah. if it's cause you're pissed off or annoyed, then probably we need to go correct that. Right. right. But if it's cause, well, yeah, if my kid puts their hand on the stove, they're in danger and I love them. So I don't want them to be in danger. Then you're like probably pretty close to the mark mm-hmm. on giving guidance instead of a set of rules that someone's kind of going to inevitably fail and then fall into shame. Right. Mm-hmm. right and the yeah. way that shame, yeah, it gets all up in our attachment and creates these gaps mm-hmm. that yeah. only widen themselves. Right. Right. Definitely. And I love this, like looking, we can look at scripture, the story of scripture through attachment. And then this other piece is that if we're giving, if we're, so what we know about kids that grew up being given this message from their parents, you can't really get close to me. You, you go fix yourself or like, I need you to be this way. Yeah. Cause that means like as a kid, if you have sadness or you're scared, like that means I have to hold this in myself. Or if I like broke the lamp. Right. And I think we bring that to God where it's like, it's almost this feeling like there's something inside of us that's like disgusting or yeah. rotten or horrible because mm-hmm. in some traditions we're told that yeah um, that keeps us from getting close to God. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the same exact feeling that kids that go through emotional neglect feel. 
Well, and I think that that's a really interesting point in the way it relates to, to well, when, when a childhood trauma happens, it can give us that message, even if it's not from our parents, mm-hmm. but then it, it's going to play into the way we see ourselves and begin interacting right. in those relationships with authority figures and God being one of them, mm-hmm. right? People talk about um, good, good world, good person, bad world, bad person, mm-hmm. right? And if bad things are happening to me, I must be a bad person, mm-hmm. right? Because the world, the world is black and white and good things right. happen to good people and bad things happen to bad people. Um, and the way we can even at, at a young age or even older start to – we can reshape our attachments in the other way, right? right we can yeah. experience attachment injury later. Mm-hmm. Um, and you, you hear people talking about, I never said out loud this thing that happened to me, like even to God, right? Mm-hmm. Because because of that message, right? There's something inherently wrong with me that this right. happened. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, I think that makes so much sense to me that how these all just like – flow through all the different parts of life, right? Yeah, it gets tangly. (laughs) Right, yeah. That's been my biggest question. Is this insecure attachment with God based on early experiences? Is it based on theology? Yeah. Is it a combination of both? Mm -hmm. Um, Is it the way that that these early experiences then interpret this theology that's maybe not great? Yeah. Um, Yeah, it's just... And then, yeah, so much. Yeah, or the... and I. People preach this a lot. This is a thing I've heard from the pulpit on many an occasion of like, God's not your dad. And it's like, well, right. Like not mm-hmm. your earthly father. It's like, yeah, cool. Um, and it's such an interesting message be- because it, it assumes that the reason we are attached or thinking about God the way we are is absolutely a one-to-one uh-huh. to our uh, earthly parents. Right. And I think for, again, for a for a lot of people and for a lot of reasons, there's a linkage there, but it's such mm-hmm. an oversimplification mm-hmm. that I actually think winds up being shaming a lot um, mm-hmm. and shames us out of doing anything with our information of like, oh, okay, I'm relating to my parent the way I'm, re- right. or I'm relating to God the way I'm relating to my parent. Mm-hmm. Oh, I'm just not supposed to do that. God's perfect and good. You should trust him. Right. Whoa. Like, <laughs> yeah, right. And <laughs> what am I supposed to do with that right. information? What am I supposed to do with that directive? Yeah. And I think that the way that it plays out oftentimes is someone's like, Hey, this theology like actually feels emotionally harmful to me. Yes. And then they're like, well, it's because you had this like attachment trauma early on. And it's like, even if that was true, shouldn't we then figure out if people are coming into the church with attachment trauma, how can the gospel be an answer and healing to that? Not a like, well, you just should feel differently. Yeah, just like get on board with the gospel the way we told it to you. Right, yeah. Okay. Um, And I think that that, I would would argue, and people talk about oversimplify this in in church a lot too, but I would guess, and I wonder if you know any research on this, that our attachment to God is heavily shaped um, by our attachment to our church communities. Mm. Um, because there is, there is some interesting research. And I think some of the people you have on your list to, mm-hmm. to interview would probably talk about this of our attachment to, cause attachment theory, we've been talking about it very like one-to-one interpersonally. Right. Um, but attachment theory has been around long enough that people have started to apply it to things like places and like a, like a variety of ways that you can kind of use that information and use this structure. Mm-hmm. Um, and the way we attach to communities, right? And people talk a lot about being hurt by church communities, mm-hmm. um, or healed by church communities. Right. And the way we, I mean, there's a, 
metaphor, right? There's the biblical metaphors that are like, this is my body. So the closest thing I have to a physical representation of Christ is when I walk into a church building. Mm-hmm. So if the church building is telling me to just get over it and dust myself off, just like, right? right? Th- these mm-hmm. examples we used earlier when we were talking about avoidant attachment, right? Of just like, just get over it, right. meet your own needs. And by uh-huh. meet, meet your own needs means go read your devotional more. That's how that need gets met. Right. Um, versus people showing up with you in that doubt or hurt. Um, I wonder how much the responsiveness of the church community, which acts as God's body, mm-hmm. affects our attachment to God. Yeah. Hmm. Definitely. Yeah. I think it's just like, <laughs> Yeah, we have all these questions. And it's like, <laughs> questions on questions. Right, exactly. <laughs> Which is why when we first started talking on the phone about this podcast, we were just like rolling and we were like, we just need to like get behind some microphones, <laughs> some microphones and, and figure it out. Right. We'll, yeah. we'll stay tuned for all of your attachment questions answered. Right. Should I not promise that? No, not Sorry. At all. <laughs> <laughs> I do have my huge handbook on attachment but it's like six inches thick oh my gosh i don't know why they call it a handbook it's not a double handbook right yeah but yeah i think we just touched on the surface yeah but hopefully listening you're able to understand like their attachment theory in general is it has so much to say about so much of human experience um but yeah if we can look at take this model and lens and like what the research says about what we need as humans and how we operate in relationship there's so much that we can look at in our spiritual lives and i find that um there's so much because we feel these way about god these ways about god yeah and we're like but i should feel like i I should just right i should and i should trust him right i should just like he should be this ultimate attachment figure that I can just trust. Yeah. Um, but it doesn't play out that way. And that's really what I want to explore is like, what are the, the ways that, um, what are the ways that we feel blocked from trusting in yeah. God? Yeah. Um, and can we explore and even validate those because without identifying them, mm-hmm. then if we just try to like brush over them, that doesn't work. So, yeah. And I, in a moment of validation, right? Mm-hmm. I think God is not surprised by us and he didn't build us for relationships that don't work, mm-hmm. right? So if our experience of constantly seeking after God or avoiding him and feeling like everything goes sour isn't working, then I think that that speaks to God's design for things to be different than that mm-hmm. more than it does to our own failure to walk that Christian walk. Right. right. Yeah, totally. Yeah. You just hit the nail on the head. Right. It's <laughs> really like when we look at like, there's all this research that tells us like, here's like, we know what a healthy relationship looks like yeah. between a parent and a child and God throughout scripture refers to himself as a parent. Yeah. Right. Um, Father and mother, mm-hmm. uh, Jesus is always talking, calling him Abba. Like, yeah. yeah. So it just like it makes sense to me that we can, as we understand what this relationship looks like between parent and child, that we can then bring that to what we know about God and the Bible, and be like, hey, like, where does this fit? And like, are there places where we're getting this wrong? Yeah, where we're absolutely. Reading, where we're reading this wrong? Yeah. 
Yeah. So, and they're guaranteed to be. Right. Yeah. <laughs> cool. We both went to the same Bible college. We where did. Apparently, we didn't learn to. I love that, like, infallibility question. I'm like, well, I know that I'm not infallible <laughs> in interpreting the Bible. So. so maybe. Right. Okay. But yeah, I'm really excited. So what we're going to do is dig into some of these attachment uh, styles in upcoming episodes. So we gave you guys an overview tonight, mm-hmm. but we want to look at what does uh, dismissive avoidant attachment look like and how might that look like uh, in relationship to God? What does ambivalent preoccupied look like? There's another category um, where if you're listening and you're like, I kind of fit both of these. Yep. Then uh, we'll talk about that that fourth category. Yeah. Um, we'll get there. Yeah. And I think one thing we want to try to do is not give you therapy via podcast and heal your attachments for you, uh, but definitely talk about, well, what are some of the, what do we do with this information? Mm-hmm. Um, I was telling Crispin earlier that, I find that a lot of people get really excited about attachment theory when they hear about it. I was one of those people. Um, and a lot of us wind up putting it down because it doesn't hold a lot of answers when you're just reading the initial part, right? It's mm-hmm. just an explanation of your problems. But uh, we're both big believers that being able to understand and name what's hurting is the first and most important step to being able to do healing. Mm-hmm. Um, and there is now at this point, there's a, there is a lot of good information about how you heal these attachments. And there's so much goodness and growth on the other side of doing that healing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It's really cool uh, to look at just in the last 10 years, different therapies that have come to prom- mm-hmm. come to prominence. Like I'm trained in emotional, emotionally focused therapy. Yeah. Right. EMDR, like there's a lot of EMDR therapists that are doing attachment work. There's somatic experiencing, which also integrates attachment. There's just so much undergirding all of this work. So it's all different ways of healing. Basically, we started with Freud saying these early relationships are really important. And then we were like, no, like (laughs) maybe not. Let's just like give ourselves some positive self-talk Yeah, and we'll be fine, which helped some people. And then we're coming back around that it's basically like, well, the science is actually saying like, yeah, those first relationships actually have a lot of impact on even how our brain is formed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And just to acknowledge that we're geeking out on attachment theory and think that it's wonderful and it's not a heal all right. It's not it's not everything we really see it as something that interlaces with everything, mm-hmm. but healing your attachments will not fix everything. Right, yes. <laughs> but uh-huh. it is a really important step, especially, especially, especially when we're considering what we're going to pass down. Mm-hmm. Um, when we're considering sort of what our like relational, emotional legacy is, attachment becomes really prominent. Mm-hmm. Yeah. What I do a lot with couples is understanding like what is going on inside of me, mm-hmm. right? And why am I scared to trust? Why am I scared to reach mm-hmm. for you? And then can I like share that with you? Yeah. Even though that's really scary and vulnerable. And I think that's something where when we can identify like here's the block, that's actually something that we can bring to God, which I think yeah. can be really beautiful. If we can trust and if you feel like you can't trust God, I think that he understands that. Yeah. And can handle not being trusted. Yeah. 
He's a big boy. Right, yeah. Or girl. Right. Or them. Spin off into some gender theory at the right, end. Right, yeah. Uh, and like, no. there's so many different directions we could go. <laughs> we could just keep going. Right. But I won't, because that's not helpful uh, in this moment. But yeah, we're really excited to dig into these attachment styles in coming episodes um, and also interview people that have also dug into this intersection of attachment theory, attachment science. It's been around long enough that we can call it an attachment science. Exciting. Um, and theology. Yeah. So excited about that. Yeah. Woohoo! If you're interested in learning more about attachment science, attachment styles, and faith, there are several short articles at crispinmayfield.com, which is also where you can find all the Attached to the Invisible podcast episodes and show notes. Lastly, I have a monthly newsletter about attachment and faith called the Secure Spirituality Newsletter that you can also sign up for at my website. Thanks for listening. This is an Area Code podcast.